0: The Mixing Music Podcast is proud to say that we have a lot of free resources outside of the actual podcast. Visit mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash links to find access to our free PDFs and free resources.
1: One, two, three.
0: (laughs) Hello and welcome back to Mixing Music. I'm your host, DK. And today is part two with Warren Hewitt, produced like a pro. We're going to talk a lot more about mixing. Warren has a huge portfolio of working with both virtual instruments, but especially with working with acoustic instruments, rock kind of stuff and claim, like you have even have a claim to fame working on some Aerosmith stuff and some other. Sure. I think you have the fray as well, which you've talked about, which is a total classic for every home. First two albums, yeah. First and second albums, yeah. That is amazing. So today, I want to, in this episode, I wanted to talk about some instruments, specific instruments and sounds, and I would like for you to answer what vibe they add or what genre they can be used Great. for and what you specifically do to treat those instruments, typically speaking.
1: Great. Is Fire that cool? away. Yeah, I love it. I love that idea. All right,
0: so here we go. First one, a pillowy kick drum.
1: How to get it or how to capture it? What, do you think there's a place for it ever in a production? It depends on what you call pillowy, because I know that sounds silly to say, but I, I can't find anybody that ever has the same idea of what something is. You mean that kind of that boof, the boof? I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of like it when there's a lot of space in the music. You know what I mean? If there's a ton of space in the music, maybe an upright bass, some kind of acoustic guitars, you can have an ooh. You know, because it's ooh, ka ka, ooh ka ka. It's going to be fine. But yeah, if it's dot 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 you want you don't want a, a, a massively sustained kind of you know kick that's going blah blah, blah blah blah. No, and and again, you know, it can be something you deal with in a mix, but ultimately you want to be dealing with that in the recording. You really do. Absolutely. You you want to be deciding what the kick drum sound you want want to have is done at the recording stage, not in the mix stage. Not to say you can't fix it in the mix, but if you want something that sounds really cohesive and sounds like a live drummer in a room, try and get it right then.
0: Yeah. Okay. How about heavy guitars? How do you typically treat heavy guitars?
1: I mean, there's heavy guitars and then there's heavy guitars. There's heavy guitars, which really is a wall of guitars, which is going to be like absolutely massive 20 hertz to 20k biggest guitar sound you've ever heard and then there is like acdc guitars which are like barely any distortion um but still sound rocking you know th- this is sort of the world that we we, tr- we sort of like navigate you know with rock guitars there is no one guitar sound of course you've got you know black sabbath first few albums tones are driven but they're you know they're a amp i've got behind me a laney amp driven you know as hard as it can but it's not overly saturated distortion but then when you get into like super modern metal you know you're talking about huge wall of guitar sound and sometimes even many sounds blended together several amps double mic single mic'd um, you know blended in with virtual amps all kinds of craziness and you end up with this just literally like massive wall of guitars you have to decide early on what is the sound you're going for. What are you trying to emulate? What are you, what are you hearing in your head? Be mindful if you're going to go with this wall of like square wave guitar sound then the drum sound that's going to be in it is going to be tick, 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 tick. it's going to be like, you know, tick, 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 tick. it's not going to be, you're not going to hear huge ambience and beautiful room tones with open cymbals and space around and depth in the drum sound if your, if your guitars are taking up all of the energy. So this is, it's a big question because the answer, the answer really is, well, what are you going for? You got you want to hear a mandolin and an acoustic guitar with a heavy rock guitar sound then you know what give me like crunch give me what you would call a crunch tone but you want to hear like death metal wall of guitar then that's it that's the sound it's going to be that and like clicky drums or drums with body but definitely not with big huge sustained dynamics it's going to be like a wall of wall of guitars with a with a bunch of you know aggressive sounding drums to fit in there Awesome.
0: Awesome. Okay. What about clean guitars?
1: Well, hey, this is a good, good discussion because I, I was on a call with Fluff yesterday, you know, wrists and beards. And uh, uh-huh. he got into big trouble, jokingly, but in big trouble on YouTube because he said, this is my clean guitar sound. And it wasn't clean. It was like slightly driven. Now in a classic rock way, clean is when you turn your guitar down. Like, if you, you know, a Van Halen, classic Van Halen guitar sound, you can hear him do it on his records, the first few records. There's many, many songs where you hear him bring his volume down and he's, like, doing, like, you know, maybe, like, kind of a picking. You know, or even, like, you know, uh, you know, for ACDC. And then you hear this, you hear this, you hear the clang as they turn up the guitar. And then it's, then they're playing their jock jaun down 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 down. And all they did was turn up their volume. They're driving the amp harder. So clean is a tough one because for a rock guy, especially a classic rock guy, clean means still distorted, but all about performance. How you dig in? It's a clean tone when you're playing softly. You start playing harder. It hits the amp harder. It starts to crunch. So that's a rock clean tone. Now, with a lot of modern metal, they have two completely different sounds. They have wall of rock and the cleanest clean sound you've ever heard. With no crunch, just like super, super clean. And it's to create that juxtaposition between like, and just clean, ding, ding, like super clean tones. So... You have to ask yourself, what is a good, clean sound? What are you going for? Do you want something so clean, so perfect, might as well be a DI into the front of a a mic pre, or do you want something that just starts to crunch when you dig in? I personally like the crunch because I like the the sound to be in my fingers, meaning how I perform is how it sounds. Absolutely.
0: Okay, let's talk about some... uh some mixing techniques, EQ, compression, whatever tools you like to use on a personal basis, funk drums versus classic rock drums versus reggae drums. Uh, What are you going for for each of those?
1: Oh, that's great. So funk drums, I think if I was going to go for a classic, to me, it's still the best era. I mean, there's lots of great funk. I mean, uh, you can't get away from uh, Sly and the Family Stone, obviously, you can't get away from Parliament, you can't get away from any of that kind of stuff, the meters, I mean, the meters, wow. But my favorite sort of drum sounds that say funk to me are pretty dry, pretty dry, pretty dead. But be careful. I don't like small tones. They're not not like boom, dip, boom, boom. They're like huge snares, like boof, like loads of body, loads and loads of body, but dry. So that kick is like thumping, but the snare is like boof. So it's like chicka, chicka, boof, don't, I don't want it to be small and tight sounding, that's maybe when you move into into reggae, you can have tuned, um, you can have timbales, of course, but you can have tuned snares. You can have things that are more crack. With reggae, you want a lot more dynamics. You know, I know a lot of my friends that played reggae when I was a kid would like rest their hand on snares and do like, you know, bring this, their hand up and off. It's like an old like kunga and bongo, bongos kind of techniques where they allow the drums to breathe. They had more ring on it. They They wanted that kind of stuff. You know, a lot of reggae drummers are, are, um, are um, uh, you know, aping, you know, pretending, copying delay effects. So they'll be like... <speaking in Spanish> so there's a lot more spank to it, you know what I mean? And then when there is delay and it's yeah. room tones, most of the reggae stuff that we used to do as kids, would we would add that because we like to be able to have to control the reverb of the room. So again, pretty dry, but not the big kind of tubby tones. More like spanking, you know, super clicky. You know, it really depends because it's it's nice to shelve, not always, but it's nice to shelve your kick when you're doing reggae at about a booster around about hundred, a hundred and fifty, rather than like a rock, um, which would be more like a sixty hertz, or you know, or EDM, and where they're using like um, you know eight to eight subs, which are like forty and below, like super low. It's nice with the with the reggae stuff to be just a little bit higher because the bass tones can be so massive and can go down to like twenty or forty hertz no problem for that you know so like the kick is actually above that, where in rock you wouldn't have your kick most of the time sometimes not but most of the times your kick would be shelved below your bass it would be down at like sixty forty to sixty hertz thumping down there and then the bass would be living. There would be 60 and 40 hertz on the bass, but the fundamental would be more like 80 and 100. So, and what was your other one? You had reggae, you had- So funk, funk, classic
0: rock, and reggae, and I think you covered those three.
1: Yeah, well, classic rock, it's definitely, I like room mics, you know, you don't have to use them much, but yeah, it's definitely about having the sound of the drums in a room. A classic rock drum sound to me is definitely like, you know, John Bonham in a room, you know, classic Aerosmith, Toys in the Attic, Rocks. Rocks in particular is an album I had to study before working with Aerosmith, And that was definitely all about the way the drum sounded in the room.
0: Absolutely. Okay, okay. How about percussive acoustic guitar versus like rhythmic or uh, how do you say, like chord-based acoustic guitar?
1: That's interesting. Um, For me, uh, uh, um, you know, visually, I I talk about this, there's uh, a recording acoustic guitar video where I take a small diaphragm and I point it on the bottom part of the body like, I don't know if you've seen that one, and that, that with a small diaphragm microphone gives you a very kind of like, you know, kind of more percussive thing. Really nice, really nice on arpeggios, really nice on picking parts, really nice if you're you're just slapping the strings a little bit. And then if you want a more pop or warm tone, I tend to go with a large diaphragm pulled back, somewhere between the 12th and 14th fret and pulled back enough so I get a bit more body of the guitar. And that tends to be a bit more smiley-faced, has some high highs, low lows, lot more pop orientated
0: yeah okay hold on this one this one's a random one pop horns versus like jazz or more classical horns hmm
1: well i think a lot of the time the albums say you you think of albums like kind of blue miles davis i think i think that's the biggest selling jazz album of all time if not it was once and still be in the top five i'm sure and that that tends to be, you know, that was very performance-based. Um, you can see some live recordings of Miles Davis in those times, live in the studio recordings. And they have mics on everything, but it's definitely performance-based. So, you know, people back off when they're not soloing, you know, and they, you know, and then Miles will move forward to a mic. So that's definitely in the hands of the performer. The jazz musicians are using the microphone as an instrument. They they know that they're a soloist, so they step forward a couple of feet closer to the microphone so they get more input, less of the overall sound of it. You know, so that is a big part of it. You know, jazz jazz is definitely a recording process based on how good your musicians are. You can't just can't just copy it. You need really good players. Now, with classical, they tend to be – well, not tend to be. They are. They're sat in a place. If I'm recording even a quartet, they are seated and they are in one place. And then what classical musicians have the innate ability to do is to be able to listen to each other and perform off of each other, which is really, really exciting. They hear each other's performances, which is really, really wonderful. Now, with um, I think with um, pop stuff, it tends to be very direct on the microphone, just parts. You know, because if you're playing a pop horn section over a pretty dense pop EDM mix, it just has to be recorded really well, really up front, and then if you wanted to add some ambience, then great. But with classical and jazz, having some of the room in there is not necessarily going to be a bad thing. And particularly in classical, when I was at Air Studios last year, I know um, Olga Fitzroy, who's a, a world-class um, um, engineer of, of of you know orchestral music and as recorded with Radiohead and everybody and she when i was listening i was like that sounds amazing what am i hearing am i hearing mainly the decatry and she soloed the decatry and it's literally just those mics in the middle of the room so even though they had spot and accent mics over the musicians the musicians all knew how to perform with each other so just literally stereo or triple or quadruple miking of the room was enough to get the sound of the orchestra that's a different wow. thing to like pop Where you're going to have a sax player on a mic, close mic, and you're probably going to do a little bit of that, more of that balancing, and you're going to want it to be drier recorded, and then you can choose where you want a little slap echo on it to give it like kind of a cool thing and a solo, or you want to add some reverb to it.
0: All right, all right, let's do, uh, let's try this one. This one's an interesting one. Solo string or violinist or whatever versus a string section or orchestra.
1: Solo section violin ver- solo
0: versus like a section
1: uh I mean I think that's that's honestly that's quite self explanatory I mean you know with the section i'm going to be doing you're going to be doing maybe nice interweaving lines or or pads, you know either way you understand their 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 purpose now, if it's a solo violin, then it's going to be um you know a feature you know i'm I've got a solo section or I'm trying to create an emotion, obviously a solo violin played in a really beautiful lil- lilting, lilting legato way is going to add so much emotion in there, you know?
0: What about, uh, like, is there, like, an EQ difference between... Because I would think that with uh, a chamber or, like, a section, there's going to be a little bit less high-end than a soloist where it's going to be really up close. Any Any difference in that, sonically speaking?
1: I mean, maybe. I I mean, yes, if you've got mics pulled back, you're going to get a bit more sound of the room so you won't get as much directness. I mean, I tend to accent mic even soloists. It's not like it's right on the strings, like two inches away. It's pulled back a foot or two because you're trying to get the performer and you want to hear the bow as well as the, the, the strings. You want to hear the body. You want to hear as much as possible. So it's... You know, yes, you might get more high end, I suppose, if you're right up on it. But I think ultimately it's more about like what the arrangement's doing. And there's no one way to arrange a song. You know, some people, string arrangements I've got are just like following the chords. And then other ones, they they do the first thing, they find a pedal tone to keep keep it sort of held together. So maybe there's a cello holding down and moving very slowly while the chords move quicker around it. And then other arrangements have both those two elements, but then have a counter melody to the melody that's going on. You know, and then it can just keep going from there. It can go into a world of like, you know, creating whole different sensitive interplays between different melodic stuff going on to support maybe just a vocalist on its own. There's so many different answers to that question because it is completely song dependent.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Okay. I have two more for you and then we're done. Okay. Okay. Various types of keys, synths, roads, Wurlitzer, piano, upright piano. How do you treat them? When are they best used for, in your opinion?
1: I still, you know, these days, because virtual everything is so amazing, you you can keep, you know how to get dry standard tones because you can just open up your your DAW and play the keyboard and you can have a Fender Rhodes which sounds like the best recorded Fender Rhodes ever in the history of Fender Rhodes so it's all available for your virtual instruments so when you come and you do have a real Fender Rhodes to record you know use the amp that comes with it or put it through a guitar amp and mic it and maybe drive the amp and just get something unique that you can't get with that beautiful sampled Fender Rhodes that you have because the beautiful sample Fender Rhodes is probably pretty amazing So, you know, I was using some Arturia, you know, upright piano the other day, a Yamaha one, and it was insane. It was so good. It sounded like the best recorded Yamaha upright piano I've ever heard in my life. However, when we record piano, we tend to use my crappy old Baldwin student model, stick a mono mic on it, probably a a ribbon, which doesn't have a huge amount of high end, and then hit it quite hard with a Spectrosonics compressor. And before you know it, you've got this really unusual, weird sounding piano. So it's really a case of, you know, maybe, you know, same thing with a synth. If I, I, I remember when I first started I, having having an amazing opportunity to record a Jupiter 8, which I believe I still believe is one of the best synthesizers ever made. And we took this Jupiter 8 and we stuck it through an amp and twisted it like crazy. Now, we could have just DI'd it through the console and then it would have sounded like a Jupiter 8. So I think it's more of a case of, like, think outside the box because now we know virtual instruments are so amazing. You know, do something different with them. Put them through some pedals. Have some fun with it. You know, and if you want to split the signal and print a, a clean DI just in case, sure, do it. But really, what you want is you want to have something that's uniquely you. And it doesn't, it could be like in a little PV bandit amp, 15 watt amp, in a bedroom or in a bathroom and a mic in the bathroom so you have this weird distorted piano or synth sound in a bathroom with the the weird random echo reverberation of a small room a tiled room all of these things are are what gonna is what's gonna make your production your recording different from anybody else's all
0: right last one yep um distorted vocals you want to distort vocals how do you typically do it what are the sounds you're looking for
1: I think it's completely song-dependent. Now, I mean, you, you probably noticed this. In the last six months, distortion, saturation has just blown up. You know, we all know that virtual instruments are starting to get a little bit tired because everybody has the same access. So you and I can both have the Bosendorfer piano in Vienna, the greatest piano ever made, and we can, you and I can both put it on on a, two different songs. So how do you get stuff that's different? Well, saturation and distortion is a big deal. We were just on a, ch- a call with Eventide Ivente- talking about one of their new... Um, you know, new plugins. So, um, and then of course, Waves brought out three, four different distortion pedals this year, a uh, different distortion plugins, Sorry, this year, um, we did a thing with Game Changer Audio, which has a plasma in it. All of these things are doing different things to mess it up. So, really, the answer for me is there is no one answer because I want to try it out. Decapitator, Sands Amp, Amp Farm. You know, all of those classics are still really relevant if you've got them. And then everybody's new fancy plugins, and then. Then plugins that aren't necessarily designed to distort but do distort in an analog way are cool. Taking a um, compressor plugin and hitting the input gain really hard and hearing what kind of distortion that would get. You know, I think one of the things that came up on that call that I liked was one of the guys uh, said, um, which I really enjoyed, is they said I don't, they don't use any one distortion pedal, distortion plugin, sorry, because they find that if they do that, across the mix, it starts to create one sound. So I do think your answer is get experimental, try lots of different ones, you know, try not to repeat yourself because otherwise it's going to start sounding like the same song and the same production. But luckily, stuff is free or cheap. I mean, Klanghelm, I talk about all the time, the MJUC, $27. And it has saturation built into it, and it's a compressor, and it has three different compressors. And it's 27 bucks. I think every, since I've been talking about it, the last four or five years, every mixer I know has it and we all love it and it has a, a sidechain filter uh, filter on it it has it's it's great it's a great plugin it's cheap it's not too cpu dependent and it does great and it's saturation and compression you know so i think get a lot of variety of stuff use the ones that come with stock in your daw and get a handful of other people's stuff try it out try them on trials see if you can find a good use for them see I'm a pretty much, does it sound good within the first 30 seconds? If it doesn't, I don't really go too far. I don't want to plug in that I have to spend half an hour to get a usable sound out of. I want to know that it's going to sound good straight away. And if it does sound good straight away, then I will spend the hour finding all the other things that it could do. But you know, so don't be afraid to download a free trial of something. Try it out for 10 minutes. It's not floating your boat. Don't worry about it. You didn't do anything wrong. That's that's how most people work. Most, most professionals, most of our gear has like four knobs on it. You know, an LA-2A <laughs> has two knobs on it. A 1176 only has, you know, attack and release and input and output. And then, of course, you can select the amount of compression. But they're all dumb and easy to use. You don't want to spend too much time being techie. You want to be listening to your music more than playing with knobs and pushing buttons and automating. You, you, need, to, you, know, you need tools that sound good quick. And if they do sound good quick, then, yeah, learn them. Get into all those amazing functions and find out what else it can do.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Warren, for joining welcome. us on this episode. Um, we can. Everybody should check out Produce Like a Pro on YouTube. They have so much stuff, and they always have giveaways and everything, like learning, in, intermediate, advanced, more beginner stuff. Warren is the man. Go check out his YouTube channel. Um, and with that note, thank you so much for joining me on this episode.
1: Marvelous! Thank you ever so much.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Warren. Have a good one. Bye.
1: Two, three. Yeah!
0: If you'd like to take advantage of my free guides and online videos, please check out links.dkmixes.com. That's mixes.com. We have a lot of videos of the podcast and various other tutorials on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash YouTube. Happy mixing and enjoy the show.